When I played basketball in high school, uh, we had an assistant coach, and one of his jobs was to scout what other teams that we would soon be playing. He would go to their games, watch them play, he'd take notes, and uh, come back, and before we played that team on a given uh, night, he would sit with us and kind of update us on what he had learned and what he discovered when he was scouting them. Scouting reports matter. Scouting reports are important. Uh, businesses do the same thing. If you were to come into a community and plan to start a new business, you would probably want to do a little scouting report on the demographics, the economic capabilities of that community, and so on. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Tim and I are going to take our pastoral candidate on a scouting report in Norwalk. And our plan is to walk him through our facility and kind of make him familiar with kind of what God has blessed us with here in this place. And then we're going to run him around Norwalk and kind of familiarize him. That will be our scouting report for him. Scouting reports matter. Scouting reports are important. And so this morning, as we come again to Mark's Gospel, we encounter Jesus in a conversation with a young man who has often been simply called the rich young ruler. And so we're going to come and step into this conversation. And I want you to think of this conversation as a scouting report. Because what I observe in the life of this young man is what I want to call, he represents every man. This is Jesus' conversation with every man. His worldview is the worldview of the majority population of the citizens of the United States of America and of the entire world. And so what we want to look at this morning as we look at this portion of Scripture is what can we learn, what can we understand about the worldview of people around us. If God has placed us here, if we are here for a purpose and a reason to touch and impact lives of people with the the good news of the gospel that we sang about this morning, if that's our purpose, if that's our mission, then it makes sense that it would be helpful to kind of get an understanding of how people think, what they believe, what their hopes and expectations are. And so that's what we want to do this morning. You're going to come with me again to Mark. We're going to drop in again into chapter 10. And we're going to look together at this encounter, this this conversation. The conversation begins in verse 17 between Jesus and this young man. Out of that conversation with this young man flows a conversation with the disciples that is equally illuminating. And so let's look at this portion of Scripture beginning in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt the love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened and he went away grieving. For he was one who owned much property. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. 
The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus says, With people it's impossible. But with God for all things, but not with God for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And so this morning, I want to suggest to you, as I've said already, this young man and the way he looked at life and the way he looked at his world is so parallel to the way people think and believe today. And so we want to look at three things together this morning. I want to look first at what every man thinks and then what every man hopes and then thirdly, what every man needs. And so as we begin first with my observations, at least as I read this passage and reflect on this text, is that this young man had inadequate understanding of some very key, some very critical, and some very important truths. He had a great misunderstanding, inadequate view, first of all, of who Jesus was, who Jesus is. A wrong understanding, a misunderstanding. He came to Jesus with the understanding, good teacher. And if you find conversation with people in the world today, you will find for many people, for most people, that's their understanding of who Jesus is. He was a good man, a good teacher. And as C.S. Lewis said, Jesus does not leave that option open to us. C.S. Lewis says... Jesus was either a liar, or he was a lunatic on the level of a man claiming to be a poached egg, or he was the Lord, King, God. And so, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, good teacher. That's his understanding of who Jesus is, similar to the world in which you and I live. The second thing I noticed about this, this man is he comes to Jesus with a misunderstanding of what eternal life is about and how it's obtained. His understanding as he comes to Jesus is eternal life is obtained how? What must I do to obtain eternal life? And that's a common view in the world around us. This man represents every man. Most people have that understanding. I need to be good enough. I need to do enough good. I have this idea for many people, there's a scale. If my good outweighs the bad, I'm good to go. I'm, I'm good to go into God's kingdom. They totally misunderstand. Just like this, this rich young ruler, they, had an, they have an understanding that's inadequate. Uh, the third thing he had an inadequate view of was sin. Because he saw himself how? I, I, yeah, exactly, sinless. I have kept all these things from my youth up. What does that mean? 
Well, Bar Mitzvah at the age of 13, once the, he took that official step, from my youth up, I'm good to go. Have you ever talked to anybody who felt that way and expressed that? I have. You know, I, I've had people tell me that they have never sinned, ever. Never told a lie. That, you know, yeah, and you laugh, but uh, I try not to laugh when someone tells me that. Uh, yeah. And he had a misunderstanding of, of sin. Because the scriptures talk about sin of, of, of actions as well as thoughts and words, right? And this young man, his understanding was, I kept all these things from my, from my youth up. And one of the areas that he misunderstood, because the commands that Jesus spoke to him about were all focused on external behaviors. Honor your father and mother, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. What, what, what's the focus of the first four commandments? Relationship with God. Have no other gods before me. And that's why I believe Jesus said to this young man, go sell all you possess. Why? That was his God. That was his God. This, you think about this young man. He is young. That's always a positive, right? Anybody in your 70s like me wish you could be 20-something again? You know, I often think, yeah, Ron's got his hand up for sure, you know. Yeah. You know, I said to my wife at one point, I said, what, what do you think it would be like to be 18 and back in high school again? And she just was, no, never, and I wouldn't like that at all. Um, I think that would be so cool to go back to high school be 18 again with everything I've experienced in the last, you know, 50 plus years. That would be awesome. So he had that advantage. He was young. He was wealthy. Is that an advantage? That's always an advantage. And what happens in any culture, whether it's in the United States or any country around the world, if you have wealth, you automatically have a measure of respect. In the Jewish culture, what did wealth represent? God's blessing. If you were wealthy, that was a sign that God had blessed you. Conversely, if you were poor... Yeah. You, you, you just missed out. God, God didn't like you as much as he likes the wealthy guy. And because he had a position of ruling, he had a position of, of authority, a position of uh, power, if you will, a position of prestige. He has all these things going for him. All of these things going for him. But it's his inadequate view. He doesn't understand who Jesus is doesn't understand how eternal life is achieved, and totally misunderstands what sin really is. And ultimately, he also um, misunderstands and has an inadequate view of God. Um, A.W. Tozer was famous for saying many things. One of the things he said that has always resonated with me is, what you think when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And here was a young man who misunderstood that God was holy, God was just, God was righteous, God must punish sin. He came into Jesus' presence with that expectation that he had done everything he could possibly do to achieve the goal of eternal life. And Jesus said to him, what? You lack one thing. You lack one thing. You're worshiping the wrong God. You're worshiping your, your money, your wealth. He had a misunderstanding of, of who God is. Ron asked me this morning what I was going to preach on. 
And I told him I didn't have a clue. You got any ideas? And of course he laughed. And when I told him I was going to preach on the, the rich young ruler, he, he suggested to me a thought that I'd never had before, that the rich young ruler um, had all of these pluses going for him. He was also a man who would have been educated. He had all these things going for him. What if, what if he had responded positively to Jesus' challenge? What if? And, and Ron's suggestion was he could have been the Apostle Paul before the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Which is an interesting thought. I haven't had time to think about that much yet, but uh, that, that's worth pondering. What if? But that wasn't the way he responded. How did he respond? It says he went away grieved. That word grieved is a fascinating word. It's, it's a word that suggests storm clouds. It's a word that suggests that when he walked away from Jesus, he walked from the sunshine into the storm clouds. He walked away grieved. And when you think of all the encounters that Jesus had with people in the Bible, whether you think of people like Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the man who was born blind, the list goes on and on of all these people that Jesus encountered. At least as I remember, this is the only guy of whom it is said he walked away grieved. This would be like going to your doctor with a disease you're hoping to get treated and cared for. You go to your doctor and when you leave, you're worse than when you went in. <laughs> this would be like taking your car to the mechanic to get repaired and when you leave, your car runs worse than it did when you took it in. Anybody else besides me have ever experienced that? Um, yeah, that kind of, this would be like you going to the gym to work out because you want to get stronger and healthier, and you pull a muscle or something, and they have to help you out to your car. <laughs> you, know, you leave worse than when you got there. This young man left Jesus in worse shape than when he came. That's tragic. That's tragic. And sadly, I think he's not the only person in history who's ever encountered Jesus and walked away, being worse off than when he came. That's what every man thinks. What does every man hope? <laughs> I think this young man came to Jesus. It said he approached Jesus how? Did you notice this in the text? When he came to Jesus, how did he approach? It says he ran to Jesus. What does that suggest? That it might express a lot of things. Excitement, anticipation. It says that he ran to Jesus, and then what did he do? He knelt down. I think this young man sincerely came to Jesus with a sincere question. Wanting a sincere answer. I think he came hoping that his sincerity was enough. That his sincerity would pave the road ahead. And the sad truth is, in my experience, that's the hope of every person. That they're sincere. And they're trying to be as good as they can. His hope was that his sincerity would get him through. He also hoped, not only that, but he hoped that he could be good enough. He could be good enough. 
What else am I lacking? Matthew adds him asking that question to Jesus. What else am I lacking? His expectation was, whatever it was, he had done everything he possibly could. Whatever it was that he, you know, what else do I need to do? (laughs) Again, his focus is on his behavior. His hope was that he could be sincere enough. His hope was he could be good enough. Um, And he had no awareness that he fell short of God's demands. That's true of every man. That's true of hundreds, thousands, millions of people in the world in which you and I live. I hear it often about someone being sincere or expecting that they're good enough. That their hope of heaven, their hope of eternal life is that they could be good enough. And that was the hope of of this young man. I hear it often almost every funeral service I hear comments made about he was a good man. She cared about other people. She helped other people. She did. If anyone deserves to be in heaven, it's her or him. <laughs> Does your Bible teach that? Mine doesn't either. But that's the hope of every man. That I can be good enough, I can be sincere enough, and God's going to God's going to open the door. What every man thinks, we need to have a grasp on that. What every man hopes. And then thirdly, what does every man need? They need Jesus. That's right, Steve. They need Jesus. But what every man needs is they need to know the truth. They need to hear the truth. And Jesus spoke truth to this young man. Because he pointed him back to that first commandment. Have no other gods before me. Is God number one? Is that your first priority? Is that where your your focus is? Is that where your attention is? That's a good reminder for us too, isn't it? That needs to be our focus. That needs to be our priority. Jesus spoke truth. And so every man needs to know the truth. Needs to know the truth about who God is. Every man needs to know that. God is holy, God is righteous, and God is going to judge. If you were paying attention this morning when Beth was reading Psalm 96, it talked about that. That God is a God of justice, and He will judge. I think the last phrase in the last verse was, He will judge in His faithfulness. And so every man needs that understanding. The scripture says, it is appointed unto man, what? Once to die and then judgment. And Paul in his great sermon sermon in Acts 17, his sermon on Mars Hill, he says, I'm going to kind of paraphrase, I don't think I have it memorized well. He says, God, God kind of overlooked your ignorance in the past. But there's a day coming that God has planned and prepared where he's going to, going to judge the world in righteousness by his son. God is a holy, righteous, just God. And he will judge sin. So they need to hear the truth about who God is. And then they need to hear the truth about what Jesus did. What was the whole point of his death on the cross? What was that all about? Was he simply a martyr? 
Was he an example of love and compassion and that's what sent him to the cross? <laughs> well, what does this book say about what Jesus did? Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross for one reason. The scripture uses the word propitiation. And what that means is, he satisfied God's wrath, God's holy anger against sin. Perhaps one of the greatest misunderstandings is the truth of Scripture that we read in Psalm 7 where it says, God is angry with the wicked every day. That's not a popular thought, is it? And so, when I read that passage, and when I reflect on this young man representing every man, it strikes me that if, if your theology is, God is love and do not judge, you don't have a biblical Christianity, what you have is Oprah. <laughs> right? Every man needs to hear the truth about who God is and what Jesus did on the cross. That his death was payment, satisfying the wrath. You and I owe the debt we could not pay, right? And Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. When he died on the cross, he paid for sin. Every man needs to hear the truth about Jesus' death on the cross. What it accomplished. So every man needs to hear the truth, needs to learn the truth about who God is, what Jesus did. And then thirdly, what how it affects you and how it affects me. How does Jesus' death affect you and me? Well, it gives us opportunity to put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, right? And so, there's this potential. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, there's this potential for every man to enter into relationship with their Creator, the eternal Creator God, the one that we just worshipped, how great thou art. There's potential for every single man and woman to come into relationship with God. There's that potential because of Jesus' death on the cross. And so we enter into this relationship of putting our faith and trust in Jesus. And we gain forgiveness of sin. We gain eternal life. What was it this young man was after? What was his goal? What was his search for? What must I do to have eternal life? And the scriptures tell us it's a gift, right? It's not something you work for. It's not something you earn. That's not what every man understands. What's every man think? Got to earn it. I got to do this. I got to do that. That's the view of every man. That's the world view of this rich young ruler. Interestingly, if you pay attention to the dialogue following Jesus' interchange with the rich young ruler, in his dialogue with his disciples, he talks first of all about how difficult it is for a person of wealth to enter the kingdom. And he uses the metaphor of a, of a camel going through the eye of a needle. And the disciples respond to that how? They're shocked. They're amazed. Well, if that's the case, then it's impossible. Well, yeah, except for God, anything's possible. And then Peter, you know, the apostle with the foot shaped mouth, Peter jumps in and says, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. Why does he say that? 
Because Jesus just said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you own and come follow me. And Peter says to the Lord, we've done that. We done did that. We've left our homes. We've left our families. We've left our careers, our jobs. We have left all of that and followed you. And as I read the text, it almost sounds like Jesus interrupts him. Because Peter began to speak, and this was his one sentence, and Jesus jumps into that question. Jesus jumps into that statement of Peter. Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says to Peter, there is no one. No one is a shortened form of not one, right? There is not one single person. That includes you and me, right? There is not one single person who has left homes, farms, mother, father, brother, sister, children. There is not one person who hasn't left all of that behind that isn't going to receive what? 100%? Wouldn't you like to put your money into a 100% return account today? Jesus says to Peter to his disciples, there's not one single person that hasn't left all of this. They're going to get 100%. Houses, farms, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. There's a little line in there about persecution. That's another sermon. <laughs> and in the age to come, what? Eternal life. And so... It, it's like it's like there's this, this contract, if you will, this covenant relationship with God that you and I enter into as, as Christ followers. We enter into this, this contract, if you will, to come after Him, to follow Him, to serve Him, to obey Him. We enter into this contract with Him, and what does He do? 100%. You're going to get this and this and this. And, oh, by the way, in the age to come, eternal life. And so I step back from this story and I look at what Jesus said to Peter. And you realize what this young man missed when he walked away from Jesus. And he represents every man. And so... This morning, one of the questions I would ask is, do you find yourself in harmony with the truth of Scripture, or do you find your worldview more in sync with every man? And if you find your worldview more in sync with every man, rather than in sync with Scripture, it's time to take inventory. I read this week a recent survey that said 70%. How many people is that out of 10? Seven. Okay, help me out. I'm not a math person. 70% of self-identified born-again Christians believe. 70%, 7 out of 10, self-identify as born-again Christians. How did they self-identify in the survey as born-again Christians? They agreed with the statement that they have repented of their sin and put their faith and trust 
in Jesus for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. That's how they self-identified as born-again Christians. Seven out of ten, seven out of ten, I think that was right, yeah. Seven out of ten of these self-identified born-again Christians disagree with the statement that Jesus is the only way to God. Is there a problem with the worldview of people sitting in churches in America today? I think so. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He didn't say, I know the way. He said, I am the way. The Apostle Paul said that there's one, count them one, right? There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then Peter, standing before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, after being pulled in and arrested for healing the guy, right? Well, that's a crime. So Peter and John are standing before the ruling body in Jerusalem. The body that... That has the authority to, you know, whatever. And Peter says to this ruling body, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so, 70% of these born-again Christians in churches in America that were surveyed don't believe that. Does that trouble you? That troubles me a lot. And so, as I look at the life of the rich young ruler, and as I think of him as every man, on the one hand, my question is, how about us? How's our worldview? Do we have the proper view of God, eternal life, Jesus, sin. Do we really have a grasp on that? A biblical grasp? Not an Oprah grasp. A biblical grasp. And then the second thought is the world in which you and I live. The people that we encounter every day. Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, cashier at the grocery store. People you encounter every day are represented by this rich young ruler. Their worldview, odds are, odds are high, odds are their worldview matches the worldview of this young man. And so the scouting report that God is giving to us this morning isn't about you know a basketball game. The scouting report God is giving to us through the, this, the lens of this encounter between Jesus and this young man. The scouting report gives us an awareness of what people believe what they're hoping for and so as you and I have conversation, as you and I encounter people uh, whether that's at work or in the neighborhood or at the farmer's market on Saturday right? Wherever those conversations take place, there's opportunity because you know the world view as you look through this lens to ask questions and gain understanding and have dialogue hoping that in that there's opportunity to speak truth. Why do we need to speak truth? Because it's the truth and because it's what people need to hear. 
It's not what they're going to hear in the local news. It's not what they're going to hear watching Oprah and Dr. Phil and whoever else, right? They're not going to hear that. They need to hear the truth. So who is it in your circle of influence? Who is it in your circle that needs to hear truth? Who is it that you encounter that needs to hear the truth? And even beyond that scope of your circle of influence, there's opportunity at times to even encounter others who today are outside of that circle of influence. They need to hear the truth, too. Are we ready? Are we willing? Are we prepared to share the truth? Jesus, interestingly, in this encounter, there's so many things in this encounter that I just appreciate But one of the things that says is that when this young man encountered Jesus and he responded to Jesus and said, I kept all these things from my youth up. It says Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. In spite of his messed up worldview, in spite of hoping that he was good enough and he could make it on his own, in spite of all that, Jesus loved him. And so for you and me, we need to love the people that God's put in our circle. And we need to love them enough to do what? Tell them the truth. And oftentimes we're a little fearful about doing that. It might hurt the relationship. I get that. I struggle with that too. People need to hear the truth. People need to hear the truth. A young woman by the name of Charlotte Elliott was a famous uh, portrait painter, writer of poetry, uh, often acknowledged because her poetry was humorous and had achieved a measure of acclaim. And then in her 30s, Charlotte experienced some, some pretty serious health issues that left her an invalid, left her homebound, bedbound, and for many years she continued in, in, in that condition. On one occasion, a, a pastor came to her to talk to her, to encourage her. He asked her if she was right with God, if she was in a right relationship with God. And, and Charlotte took offense at that question. She felt in her condition, bedbound as she was, pretty much pretty useless, she felt. Uh, she found that question uh, very inappropriate and, and was resentful and, and sent him away. Several days later, in their encounter, she invited him to come back and apologize for how she responded. And she confessed to him on that occasion that she, she wanted to kind of clean up her life for the Lord. And uh, this pastor simply said to her, Come just as you are. Come just as you are. It was several years later in Charlotte's life that those words continued to echo in her heart and mind. And because of those words, come just as you are, she had come to put her faith and her trust in Jesus, just as she was. And she penned a poem out of that experience that later was set to music. And you'll recognize the words of this poem. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. 
Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come. And so every man needs to come just as Charlotte did, right? Just as we are. Not clinging to how good we can be. Not clinging and hoping that we can be good enough to please God. We need to embrace the truth of what Scripture says. First of all, in our own lives. And then as we live in a world that needs to hear about Jesus. And so, in your own heart and mind this morning, are, are you in, find yourself in sharp contrast to the worldview of this young man? Do you find yourself in sharp contrast to what he believed and thought and hoped for? Or do you find yourself a little bit here, a little bit there, maybe kind of in harmony? And I want to encourage you this morning. You need to hear the truth. You need to understand the truth. Because God's call to every single one of us God's call to every man is come just as you are. Come just as you are. And, and that's, the, that's the story of, of the Bible. That's the good news. The gospel is good news. It's the power of God and salvation. My job is to communicate the truth. God's job is to convict people of the truth. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So the, the convicting part of the equation is God's job, right? My job is just to communicate, share the truth, tell the truth. We ought to love the opportunity to tell people about God's love. We ought to love the opportunity to tell people that God wants to have a relationship with them. We ought to love the opportunity to tell people the truth that it's sin that separates them from a holy and righteous God. It's sin that causes that relationship to not be possible. And it's because of that sin and that distance the sin creates between us and our, our God. The God in, in, in His providence and His wisdom and His grace invaded history in the person of Jesus Christ. God became a man to show us what God is like. Is that good news? And so, Jesus came, as the scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And aren't you glad for where it goes from there? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No man has seen God at any time. But the Son who's in the bosom of the Father has declared Him, put Him on display, showed us what God is like. And so Jesus lived that perfect, sinless life that you and I could never live. 
And again, in the providence and timing of God, Jesus went to the cross, not as a martyr, not as an example of love. He went to the cross for one reason, to satisfy God's righteous wrath against sin. And three days later, he rose again. We sang about that this morning. Three days later, he rose again in declaration of God's acceptance of that sacrifice for sin. In God's call in my life, God's call in your life, God's call to every man is to repent of sin, turn away from sin, and put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter in that response to that question, no one has left all that stuff and followed me that's not going to receive 100%. And in the age to come, guess what? Eternal life. Good news. Every man needs to hear that story. Every man needs an encounter with Jesus. And those encounters are going to take place because those of us who love and follow Jesus share that story, share the good news. Because every man needs to hear it. Lord, I'm grateful this morning as we think about Thanksgiving especially. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the gospel message. I'm grateful for the good news about Jesus. I'm even grateful for the bad news that points me to Jesus. I'm grateful for the bad news that, that my sin is an offense to a holy God. And that that holy God judges sin. I'm grateful for the bad news because it points me to Jesus. Who paid that sacrifice. He paid that debt. I'm grateful that when Jesus hung on the cross as he died, he said, it is finished. The debt is paid. Paid in full. And so I'm grateful that in a week where we celebrate Thanksgiving, we can give thanks of all for the gift of eternal life, the gift of forgiveness. And Lord, my prayer this morning is if there's anyone here in this room who finds themselves uncertain about their relationship with you, uncertain that they've truly come to know you as Savior and Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak into that heart, draw that one to yourself, meet the need of of that heart this morning is our prayer together in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord together. We got birthdays this week. Lois South has a birthday tomorrow. Rumor has it she's going to be 39 again, so that's all good. Uh, Bonnie Miller has a birthday this week on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, the 23rd. And uh, Janice Gutierrez has a birthday on the 25th. Sandy Goodwin has a birthday this week on the 25th. He's not celebrating that birthday. He's not recognizing that birthday. Oh uh, well, too bad we just did. So happy birthday! Happy birthday, Indian. We opened our service with that great video about Operation Christmas Child, a good reminder. All the boxes apparently are gone. If you still want a box, I think there's still a few left. So at the Connect Center, you can get a box. Um, Just a great opportunity to serve Jesus and to serve children around the world. Take advantage of that. Um, I think there's a lunch afterwards. I heard rumors about the Thanksgiving lunch upstairs in the Fellowship Hall. You're all invited, so please come and, and join us. And as you go this week, after lunch, as you go, um, God will go before you. He promises to do that, as we just sang. He not only will go before you, but He'll come behind you. He'll walk beside you. He'll watch over you. And the great promise of truth of Scripture is He's living within you. Our God wants to empower you this week to accomplish good things and good stuff. In your life and in the lives of others around you. Ask Him this week to give you opportunity. Just to have dialogue with somebody. To maybe open their eyes a little bit to truth. Let's go share lunch together and celebrate God's goodness to us. Let's do that together.